I love my coaching stories. I love my old coaching friends, all that stuff. I get to do that for a living now. So all I get to do is just talk to my old friends, try to help them find players. Yeah. Fun. The thing I thought was really cool is how you're able to, you remember names really well. And then you have connect, like it's not just like, oh, I know, you know, I know Kai. And that was it. No, you remember it like where he played, where he's been coaching. He's kind of, you know what I mean? And even like bringing up the Franz Hoke and like all these other, it's just really cool that you have, you've made connections, but it wasn't like, all right, I'll just move on. No, I know exactly where they're coaching. I've followed them, the Zima brothers to like, it's, it's really cool. The, the amount of, I know there's gotta be, like you said, 500 to 600 players you've looked at at some point on film or come across your your laptop or whatever um it's really cool that you've made that that you have all that info in there you can still kind of it's like compartmentalized a little bit yeah and honestly it's it's it is weird because you'll see i remember back in film i remember the first time i've ever seen any great player i remember where i saw them what the goal is but i can't remember the grocery list if my wife gives it to me to go to the store yes. but if it's soccer related uh-huh. i can tell you i can remember <laughs> i can I like I can tell you my worst goalkeeping fufa blunder. I remember when it happened, where it happened, who it was against, what the game was, what the score was. I remember how it worked out, and that was 50 years ago. And then I can't remember what my wife just told me 10 minutes ago. We were eating for dinner. Well, that's right. That's what it was for dinner. But soccer sticks, and it, it, and it's irritating to no end. I know what it is for her. It's got to be. Yeah. She goes, "How do you remember that stuff?" But you can't remember. Uh-huh. Like, sorry. Yep. I always get What's our the, son's name. What's his name again? No, not, not that bad. I always get that if it was soccer, it would it would be taken care of already. I'm like, yeah, you're oh, 100%. I'm guilty. 100%. This stupid thing never leaves my head. This she she wants to throw this out the window because <laughs> I well, you, you see what I'm tweeting and stuff. It's like it is constant. Oh, I, yeah. It's 24 and I say I use this as my diary. I used to try to keep a journal. I don't like it. Twitter's my journal. I journal on Twitter. So I just kind of journal, nothing too personal. It's always soccer, but that's because that's all I'm ever doing is soccer. That's why. Or watching a stupid Netflix show. Something like that. Yeah. Right? It's yeah. always, it's mindless stuff. It's, it's, it is fun doing this for a living, Kieran, because I do feel like I'm playing all the time. I don't feel I ever like it's, yeah, stress builds up and stuff, but it's like, it's like preparing for a soccer season type of stress. It's that kind of stress. Yeah. This is Karen with Coach's Corner Chats. I just want to take a moment to say thank you, thank you, thank you for the support of this podcast. If you haven't done so already, hit that subscribe button and take a moment and fill out a review. It makes a whole lot of help in terms of growing and developing this podcast. Enjoy today's chat. Peace. For 90% of the kids, Kieran, it's a way better experience than fretting every single night of your first two or three years, what's wrong with me? Why don't they like me? I don't understand. Everybody else has liked me before. Yes, because you were the best kid on your team, because you were the best kid in your city. But now you're not the best kid anymore because you've got all these other hundreds. And they're older than you. Most of these kids are older than you. 
that's why I'm a big fan of the gap year, to be honest. For a lot of kids, it's like, go grow up. That's what my son did. He went to England for two years. Hmm. He never would have played Division One at the level that he played at uh, had he not gone to England for two years. He physically grew up. He, he mentally grew up. He emotionally grew up. He got tough. Here in, and then the Americans complain, all these older kids from England, it's because they're growing up. Don't you understand? Yes, we want grown-ass adults playing on our teams because we'll win more games with grown-ass adults than your scared little 18-year-old boy. Scared little 18-year-old kid, come on. It's going to take him two years, three years to grow up and figure this out. I noticed that too because uh, one of my buddies was helping out at Notre Dame College up near Cleveland. Um, so they made the D2 tournament. So they won their first round and then they ended up playing Pierce, Pierce Williams or Pierce something. And Franklin Pierce. Franklin Pierce. And they got smoked like 6-2. Well, then he sent me the roster. The youngest kid on the team was 22. They were 22, 24, 24, 26. There was a 28-year-old. Um, and they were all international as well, which I know people have hissy fits about that. But like you just said, that's because they were all in like club teams over there working and like you, like your son did getting the crap beat out of them being turning into men. And then they come over here to play and they have their eligibility. Everybody's in such a rush. I think here in the States with everything we have. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Like, duh. I, got I got seven. I got a 17 year old playing against a 22 year old. That's a com life experience and everything is like you said, going to college and messing up. And those people have already made those mistakes in learning. Yes. The 17 year old doesn't even know really who they are at that point. Like I think about myself at 17, I don't have a freaking clue what the heck I was going to be doing. Is there ever a dad, like, do you take two weeks, three weeks and just like, look, I'm not doing anything recruiting wise. And, or do you have to find those moments or are you just wired that you're constantly, I know you're talking about the recruiting and your wife's been going with you to things and stuff like that. Do you ever just say, all right, I need a month and I'm just... We, pro we have never taken a trip to Hawaii. We've never taken a major... We haven't taken... I haven't taken a week off in 15 years. I'm not saying it's healthy, but I like what I'm doing. I feel like I like what I'm doing. I like my pace. I like my life. I like what I'm doing. I dig it. So it's not... I don't. I don't know... My body tells me when I got to shut down. I got sick and got pneumonia because I traveled. I put, I don't know how many miles I did. I went, I went to East Coast twice from California. I went to Dallas. I went to, I don't know, somewhere, Las Vegas twice. And then I went to Columbia. And then I went to Mexico City and I got pneumonia because somewhere in the flight, and then the thing, I got pneumonia. And then I went to, oh, then I went to Orange County for another event after that and i ended up in the hospital for a week and it made me take three weeks off that's the first vacation i've had in <laughs> 20 years i don't know we don't go anywhere we don't we'll take a weekend off and we'll do something we'll take a day off we'll do something we live in a place that we feel like is vacation territory because it's the mountains i'm looking at snow and it's trees and there's rivers and streams and we both love it we like to sit outside and watch she feeds the hummingbirds and the squirrels and the you know everything that, that you know it feels like vacation. We both love it. So yeah, we need to take more time off and I need to back down a little bit sometimes, but we kind of monitor each other. 
and she'll go, I'm just taking, take the days off, but she's got the same engine. That's the problem. Yeah. She's got, well, the problem, it works out well. She has a, she has an engine and wow. you'll notice some people have engines. Some people don't. Mm-hmm. And some, some people have engines like Ferraris and it doesn't mean they're better. It means they're just really high performance engines and other people's have Volkswagens. Super reliable, dude, easy to work on. I'll work on a 1969 bug all day long. I'll tear the engine out and I put it back in the same day and I'm not even a mechanic. It's that simple. There's not that much to it, right? But you ain't doing that with a Maserati, <laughs> right? A Maserati mechanic can't do it with a Maserati. You can't swap out an engine in a day in a Maserati. You can in a 1969 Volkswagen bug. We've done it. So doesn't mean it's a bad engine. It just means it's a different engine. A diesel truck engine is not going to win a drag race, but it doesn't mean it's not a powerful engine. Mentally, emotionally, everything, we all, I've noticed everybody has an engine. You got an engine. And how do I know you have an engine? Because you're anxiously doing something and you're really trying to build it from zero, from scratch, nothing. That's not easy to build anything out of nothing never easy which we've done it with us you say i said i don't want to go on twitter i don't want to go on twitter now i got eleven thousand followers on twitter because my because my partner said dude just give coaching advice just say coaching stuff people will look at you as the soccer expert because you're really good at what you do mm-hmm. you're smart and i said okay i'll do that and then i started doing it and people started going oh yeah i've never heard that i've never heard that and i go i just feel like it's common sense i feel like everybody should know all the advice that i say <laughs> why because i've been doing it for 30 something years for me it's just how could you not know that? Why would you? And then I realized that millions don't. And I go, oh, then this is good advice. Then I'll just keep doing it. And then it's, it's exploded. It's exploded. And it's good. And I like it because it means that I'm helping people that I don't even know that I'm helping. Mm-hmm. And that makes me feel really good. Because I've got parents writing me, hey, they're not clients of ours. Hey, I just took all of your advice and I did it. And my kid just got a scholarship or my kid's playing here or my kid's doing this. And it's like, I don't know. The other day I got another one. I, I think I'm up to like 12 people who have told me that all they did is took our advice, free advice. It's the only thing I had to, my problem is, is my advice is everywhere. And it's all these different years on the timelines of social media. It's not in one place. It's not in a, I wish I could hire somebody to say, just go through all my stuff, take all my tweets, organize them, sectionalize them, put them in a book and I'll split the, I'll split, I'll split it with you. 50, 50, for whatever it sells for how to get yourself recruited because I know that I have no agenda. I don't have an agenda to sell a book. I don't have an agenda to join my program. Most of you kids, we go through about 10,000, 12,000 kids a year that we don't accept because they're just not very good or they're just saying the wrong things or they're just not motivated or they're saying they want to be at Stanford and only Stanford. And we know clearly that I would be stealing their money if I took them on as clients because I will never be able to satisfy them. And I've done that two or three times. I've got people I never should have signed a client because I wasn't clear enough of what I was going to do for them. And I'm going to find you the right fit. I am not promising you Kentucky. And they think I'm promising them Kentucky. They think I'm a cheap version of the UCLA scandal. Mm. I swear to God, I've got four or five clients I've taken on that think I am a 225. They think they're the smartest people on planet Earth because they only spent $2,500 to get the UCLA scandal, to get them on that team when that guy was paying $100,000. They really think that. And I think it's my fault because I wasn't clear enough on how this works and what is right 
for your kid based on my experience. And that is to play soccer, have fun, get a good education because your kid's never going to be a pro. People don't tell kids they can't be pros. I'm not talking about 12 year olds. I'm talking about 18 year olds. I'm talking about kids that clearly at 18 years old are not going to be a pro. But I've known kids that have gotten better from 21, 22. I got it. My son was one of those. Except I, I just kind of see, and I always knew he didn't have the body for it because I could see the pros that I was coaching. I saw what they looked like. All of them were succeeding at the pro levels. And I compare them to him and I go, it doesn't look the same. It just doesn't look the same. And that's what I do with people's kids and people don't like it. Because I'm, you, who are you to judge? Don't, ju don't tell kids they can't make it. Don't just, you're right. I shouldn't be that blunt. But you don't have time to waste because you're 18 years old. You don't have a school and you need something done in, in six months. You need something done in a year. You need something done in a year and a half. It's your time to waste was when your kid was fifth grade, sixth grade, seventh grade, eighth grade, maybe even ninth grade. That was your time to decide how many hours you want to, and your kid wasn't on the wall and your kid wasn't running extra. Your kid wasn't watching what they were eating and your kid wasn't going to games and your kid wasn't studying games on TV. Your kid wasn't doing any of that, but they went to camps and they did soccer for 10 months a year. Yes, but you understand that they're doing that as a three hour a day organized activity. That's really only three days a week, four days a week, average it out through the year. I don't know. What is it, Karen? Three and a half days a week, probably. Yeah. Or, right. How do you get to Carnegie Hall? Practice, 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 not practice three and a half days a week. That's not what they're saying. They're saying practice eight hours a day, seven days a week. That's how you get to Carnegie Hall. Are our kids playing soccer eight hours a day, seven days a week? Are they or being involved in the game? How about not that? I don't, have to, I don't want them playing eight hours a day, but yeah. being involved in the game in some way. Why are they in the gym? For soccer. Why am I getting stronger? For soccer. Why are you eating? For soccer. Why are you sleeping? For soccer. Why are you getting ready to do your, why are you doing all your chores now? Because soccer's on. I don't want to miss it. Why, everything's about, why are you doing your homework now? Why are you doing, for soccer, because soccer is going to be on tomorrow morning at the World Cup. I won't have time to do my homework before I go to school. So I'll do my homework for soccer. How many kids of those are in the United States? In our country, in our country of whatever it is, how many of those are there? 1% and they're making it to the power five division one. And then the rest of them are not doing that. And then they expect to be at the power five division one. Why? Because I play in the highest league in the country. That's why I play on the best team in the highest league in the country. That's why not because I'm a great player because I play and I did all this and I, I worked so hard to get here, but it's going to take from you. Yeah. I don't want to do that but I'm not going to say that. I'll tell everybody I'm grinding. That's what I'll do. That's the buzzword. I'm grinding. I'm grinding. I'm grinding so hard. I'm grinding the hours. I'm grinding. Why? So I can play in college. Oh, not because you love the game. Okay. I get it. You have a end goal. Nothing wrong with that, I suppose. Nothing wrong with that. But just admit what it is because if that coach knew what they were buying with you, they would never have bought you. And they're going to let you go anyways because you were dishonest with them. Yeah. You were completely dishonest with them. You told them that all you cared about was soccer. So when your coach, so, so coach wants you to participate in the Premier League, uh, uh, the, uh, 
Come on. Fantasy league, right? When your coach wants you to do that and you're not doing it. And when your coach wants you to show, watch these games and you're not doing it, your coach is now coach is just harassing you. Coach harasses me all the time. Never gets off my ass. Yes, because you don't do any of the things that you said that you love to do and that he loves to do or she loves to do and that they want you to do and that a lot of your teammates want to do. You're just not part of the team. Your culture is different than their culture, which is soccer, soccer, soccer for everything because I love soccer. I want to play pro. I want to play soccer. I never took a kid at Feather River College who didn't tell me they didn't want to play pro. They had to tell me they want to play pro because then I could hold them accountable to that. You understand You told me you wanted to play pro. Well, I coach pros. Let me show you how this works. And then when you say you don't want to do it, I said, but you said you wanted to play pro. Okay, I quit. Not my problem. You said you wanted to play pro. Don't don't lie to me and then blame me because I hold you responsible for the lie that you told me. How is that my fault? So although on the boys' side, they had to say they want to play pro. I didn't tell them that. I said, what's the end goal? And they go, well, the end goal is to get my degree. That's great. Not that I won't take you because you're a really good player, but I know that you may not, you may struggle in this culture because all my kids are from England and all they want to do is talk soccer and play pro. <laughs> they know way more about the Premier League and the European leagues and all the European leagues than I will ever know. Way more. They're junkies, complete and total junkies, addicted. They know every player, nothing else from FIFA. They had FIFA tournaments for fun. I didn't wonder where my soccer players were where my English kids were. They were playing FIFA, they were playing soccer. That's what they were doing. And they didn't want to get in trouble because that would mean that they couldn't play soccer. So they would do what I told them to do because they didn't want to get in trouble because they wanted to play soccer. See how this works? That's what kept me in school. Soccer. Did I care about school? No. I went to school because of soccer. Why did I get my degree? Soccer. Why did I get my master's degree? Soccer. So that I could do soccer. Where are those kids? Yeah, And then they want to go to Notre Dame and Stanford and USC and North Carolina. They want to win national titles. They want to be on planes. And they don't even love soccer that much. (laughs) And it doesn't work out. And they go into transfer portal. They're chasing the wrong schools. Because there's a D3 school out there. There's go, yeah. I had one of my clients who I won't name the school, but uh, played D3. Everybody got to play a half. Division three in college. Perfect. Because the president, you could tell then, at that point, the president just says, these kids are paying a lot of money. Play them all. I don't want any complaints. I don't want kids leaving. And so the coach does exactly that. They don't win very much, win barely at all. They're not very good. Everybody plays a half. It's very recreational. But it's a college soccer team. That's a much better environment for half of these kids. Yeah. A big chunk of these kids. Much better environment. Because that's all they really want to do. They just want to play soccer. They don't have the ego. They just want to play. The best team I ever had is because the captain was 24 years old, had been in the service in Scotland, had served. He was a badass. He was all of five foot eight. Yes, he's not African-American. He's just black, black kid. I had two black kids from Scotland on the same team that didn't even had never seen another black player in all of Scotland in their whole careers. He goes, how'd you find two of us? I don't know. I'm just looking for players. I'm not looking for <laughs> black players from Scotland. I said, you two can play. Can you play? Yes. Okay, that's why I took you. I don't know. Uh, but he was a badass, and he would run the players and himself. I go into in the morning. It's like, what are you guys doing in here? Leave us alone. We're in the gym. We'll see you later. What's the problem? You don't need to know about it. We got this. And that team went to, we knocked off the number one team in the country that year. 
in the playoffs. It's that's the thing that needs, and it just doesn't exist. Finding that leadership at the right time, at the right, I've had one team like that in 30 years, maybe three, four, maybe three or four, Mm -hmm. because you have to have these bold leaders that will make sure that everything falls in place. And it's usually going to be an older kid. And then people complain that we have older kids. Like, no, that's a guy I want leading my son. That's the one that's going to keep my kid alive. That's the one that's not going to let my kid do stupid stuff. It's that captain right there. Because players know a thousand times more about each other than us coaches will ever know, even in the tightest organizations. Unless you got a snitch from within, but that doesn't last long because everybody knows who it is. So it doesn't work. The players have to monitor themselves. That requires older senior players, usually, right? I think the pressures are, I think the pressures of social media are greater than the pressures of playing soccer ever were. Yeah. I don't think really kids really care about what their coaches think or players think as much as they care about what all their friends think on social media. And now it's worse for these kids because they can go away from school and their friends from high school, they never get that separation. The ones that they were all emotionally, we were all emotionally damaged by in high school, one yep. way or another. All of us were tortured teenagers, most of us, right? All of the things that bothered us now follow you forever on social media. We just walked away. I don't even talk to my friends from high school. I have one friend I talked to, one, my best friend, my center back. He's it. Only one I ever talked to. I'll call him once every two years. Yeah, These never- kids can't do that. I never thought about that because we've even, you know, even said to like my friends, man, if we had social media, I don't know how much, what kind of trouble I'd get into because of the stuff we did, but it never got caught on film. I wasn't, you know, there wasn't that. And I know I would have filmed myself doing something stupid and probably posting it or just sharing with friends and, and, and what have you. But it is interesting. Your point of that kid that was your like thorn in your side can still find you on Facebook, can find you on Instagram, can continually still... They can torture you. Yeah. They can literally torture you. My stats that I like to put up, because we post our stats every year, we're like almost like 25, 25, 25, and then a mix of other stuff. We've got like 21% of our girls go D1. Well, I always tell people, that's 1% of the nation nationally. On the the girls' side, it's 2% that go D1. 21% of our go D1. But 25% of ours go D2. And like the D3 is the smallest sliver just because it's just so hard for people to find the right D3 fit yeah. because there's so many of them. It's yeah. like the biggest number of schools in this country are D3. I just overcoming preconceived notions. We have more kids that go JC because they want to go JC to D2, right? Or mm-hmm. JC. So they'll put in that work at the JC level. They'll take that step. They'll take our advice. And then a chunk, a big chunk, NAIA. Got a bunch of NAIA kids because it's cheap. Kid says, I got no money. My plan is JC NAIA. That's my plan. If they got no money. Because you can do it for free in the right states, in the right areas. Overseas kids can do it for a fraction of the price if they go D2 or D1. So if money's an issue, then that's what we're thinking. We're just trying to plan I always look at it as a pathway, Karen. Figure out where they're at, figure out what their end goal looks like, and then draw them the pathway. Give them a map. And that's my job is to make, I'm a cartographer of a life. 
and I'm making a map based on the experience of I've been there before, my friends have been there, and my other kids and these thousands of kids have been there. So I'm going to draw you a map. It's no different. That's my job. Mm-hmm. And just having enough experience to be able to figure that out is so rewarding, man. It's so much fun. I love the film sessions with my kids. I dig them. I spent an hour and 15 minutes with the goalkeeper just tearing apart his film, man, and going, see, this is why you're never going to play at Stanford because you can't play a left-footed ball that bends this way to that side. That ball you hit is a right-footed ball to the left side. Your ball is bending out of bounds. Look at the 20 yards of space that this guy has in front of him. If you had led him by five yards and he could attack that space at speed, he could go straight at the center back, bring him out, play in the nine, we got a goal. Instead, you're bending the ball out of bounds. That player's got to stop, back, wait for it, boom. By that time, they close the space, you close it down. And I'm doing this analysis. I dig it, dude. So much fun. I wish I could do it with a thousand kids, but I can't. Yeah. Just can't. There's not enough hours in the day. But it's cool. It's fun. And that's why we're going to do like, I've got a goalkeeper guy, Keith Jarema up in Michigan. We're going to start doing like virtual goalkeeping stuff where here's what I can do with coaches. Because how many club teams, how many groups don't have goalkeeper coaches? They don't have them. Colleges don't have goalkeeper coaches. We could do that stuff virtually. If you could give me a coach who could kick a ball and has half of a brain, I could say, this is where the problems are. These are the movements. This is what should be happening. Here's two, three sets of drills. Film it all. We'll look at it again next week. Let's see where we go. And then give you another week and give you another week and give you another week and make you a fake goalkeeper coach that's a thousand times better than hiring some kid out of college as your grad assistant goalkeeper coach. He's never coached a day in his life. Yeah, at least give you access to an expert and an expert opinion because I've seen a lot of it. So having that, we're going to start that this year with co- an offer it out to coaches and clubs because we've got can't do a ton. I don't know how many we could do, but we've got four or five of us in the company, the goalkeeper guys that have played at very high levels, higher levels than me. Yeah, that, two guys from Indiana that feed played that. played goalkeepers in Indiana. I guess they're pretty good. They played for Yagley. That feedback loop is huge. I think we do so much stuff like in a silo sometimes where we are just, and we just, our ideas are just bouncing off the walls and we don't have anybody. So having that opportunity, like for a kid, like that you were just working with today for that hour and a bit, that's huge because they're not getting that kind of feedback constructive type of like, look, you can't do that. And guess what? There is a kid they'll find him that can bend it correctly with the left foot. And they're going to pick him and not you. And even if they pick both of you, he'll always play. You'll never play. Mm, True. (laughs) So it's not even about being picked and select because goalkeeper is so different than every other position. Because if I have a stud at right back, who's an all American and you show me another stud right back that could challenge this kid, but I know he doesn't have the experience and I can be a couple of years before I can trust him. I can make him a right wing. I can make him a left back. I can make him a left mid. I might be able to stick him in the middle of the field. I'll find a place for that kid. What are you going to do with a goalkeeper? But goalkeepers can play field too. Yeah, no, thanks. I'll take field players to play. I'm very old fashioned that way. I don't want a field. I want a field player that's better than all the goalkeepers, but specializes in goalkeeping. Thank you. Nobody goes, but as a catcher, you've got an opening at second base. I'll go play second base. When does that ever happen? When do you see a linebacker in football going, yeah, I'll go on the defensive end? Never. 
not at the high levels. Mm-hmm. So I believe that you have to specialize at a certain point. Certainly 18, 19, 20, 21, 22 is full-time specialist. I need you to live, dream, think about this position. I need you to study the hell out of it. And goalkeeper is the most important position on the field. It's the only position named in the rules. Tell me it's not special. That's true. The only position named in the rules. You can't, it's the only position you cannot play without. You can play without every other position, but by the rules and the laws of the game, you may not play without a goalkeeper. So tell me it's not special. They knew it was special. They knew it was absolutely the most important position on the field. Because if we shut you out, we will be undefeated. And if we shut out every team throughout the entire season, we will be undefeated. Not saying we'll win, maybe 0-0 every game, but we'll be undefeated. We'll never have lost. And I can tell you that if I hold a team to zero, this game is not that hard to score one goal. Not even that hard to score two. Scoring three or four is very hard. It's yeah. not that hard. Well, our U.S. our U.S. national team right now is an example of they're freakish, aren't they? they I looked at I had to look it up the other day, and I think it's a Premier League stat. Only seven percent of the games end in zero zero. Wow! And we just had two of three. And we're at what are we at? We're at thirty. We're at 66%. Oh, US, right? No, 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 zero, zero. No, that where we can't score. I'm just saying on one end of it. Oh. If it's zero, zero, and it's 7%, that means somebody's scoring a goal every game. Oh, true. Why not us? Yes. Why not us? Why wouldn't we be the one to score? That's the problem. But it's that I look at it from a goalkeeper's perspective. perspective. I just see life that way because I knew. If I lost zero, if we lost one thing, because I said, you weren't going to score anyways. We weren't going to win today. I am not playing to tie. I am playing to win. Offense, you did not give us a chance to win today. You didn't even give us a chance. You get one goal, just one. I can almost guarantee you a draw. I can almost guarantee we never lose. But you've got to get me a goal a game. And if you can give me two, and certainly if you can give me three, teams that score 2.85, 2.75, almost three goals a game, damn it, of course you're going to win a lot of games yeah. if your defense is any good, if you're organized at all. If you're tough to get through and you've got a good goalkeeper, and you're organized and you stay behind the ball at the right moments and you get out at the right moments, no way, no way as a goalkeeper, no way you score more than two on us ever. Very rarely. If we're any good, usually it's less than one. My goals against average is less than one, 0.75. Then it's good. And I save 90% that comes at me. No, I have to say, I don't be perfect. I save nine out of 10. That's my goal. Very difficult to do, but look at the best goalkeepers in the world. Eight point, you know, 0.875. They're close. They're flirting with it. And every once in a while we get one that gets it. It's like hitting 400 in baseball, right? You hit 395, you're still in the Hall of Fame. Yeah. Okay. If you if it's eight point seven at point eight seven five, you're still in the Hall of Fame. You're really good. We know you're good. It's the guys that give up three goals out of ten that I've got a problem with, a real problem with you, because I know that it takes seven goals on average to score one, and I know that there's a lot of one nothing games, and I know there's a lot of 12, 13, 14 shots. And if you're giving up one out of seven, that means fourteen shots, or three out of if you're giving up three out of seven, that means you're giving up. Holy shit, we're giving up six goals a game because of you. Goalkeeper, you're terrible. 
<laughs> nine, right? So we got to figure, okay, 14 shots a game. That's a little over one a game. You just got to be a little better than that. You got to figure this out. And defense, you've got to limit them to less than seven shots. Can you limit them to less than seven? And if goalkeeper can save, can save nine out of 10, and we're giving up less than seven, it tells you we've got a lot of shutouts. True. We're about 20% shutouts, 30% shutouts. And the rest of them are a lot of one goal games. And once in a while we give up three and we wonder what happened, but then we're right back into zeros and ones. Mm-hmm. And then we're winning a lot of games if we can score a few goals. You know, if you scored one, two or three would be good. That'd be good. Don't need to score eight or nine. Fine. We do, it's great. <laughs> but against the crappy teams, we do. I always said you're good team. This is how you know a good team. When you've got a good team, you win the games you're supposed to win, then you blow them out. You kill them. The teams you're supposed to crush, it's never close. Never close. Even if it's only 3 nothing, it's ne- it was never even 3 nothing. We yeah. peppered them, right? The teams that you're just as good as, you're beat by a goal or two. You just rise to the occasion. Every single time you play them, you just got a little more than they got, and you're winning 2 nothing, 2-1, 3-1. And the teams that are better than you, that you've got no business beating, you find a way to get something done. You at least get a draw and you pull out the occasional win. It might be draw, draw, win, right? You, you figure out a way to pull out against teams you got no business beating. They're just a little better than you. you but you figure it out. That is Leicester City's season a few years back. Yes. That's exactly what they did. It's exactly what they did. There's no difference. It's exactly what, it's what Arsenal's doing right now. What Arsenal's do is Arsenal the best team in the Premier League? No, but they're getting results against teams they probably didn't used to get results in a few years ago. They absolutely didn't. Never, never could beat a top five, top five team. Being an Arsenal fan is painful. Can't beat a top five team. But now we're finally doing it. Now Man, Man City's coming up soon, isn't it? And then Tottenham at Tottenham. We beat them at our place, but then if we can pull the yeah, this could be real. It's <laughs> look at the results though, right? They're really taking care of teams that they should be taking care of. And the ones that are right with them, they're figuring out a way to get it done. And then they're figuring out ways to pull off points off of teams they should not be beating yes. or getting points off. That's the mark of a championship team. And you know that about mm, halfway through the season when it's too late to do anything about it and you never really planned for it. It just turned out that that's the way this group is. And then the next year you change two players out and all of the dynamics change. And it doesn't work anymore. It didn't work the next year because that's what most teams don't realize. It's like, you look at any team in the world, somebody quits, somebody gets sick, somebody gets hurt. A new character comes into the scene. Somebody moves, somebody decides to stop playing. Something changes. And every character you introduced into a team makes it a 100% different team. Everybody's dynamics are now different with at least one player on that team. And it might work and it might not work. That's what's so hard about coaching. It's not the X's and O's. I see young, inexperienced coaches mapping out the X's and O's perfectly fine. They get it perfectly fine. They got no experience at dealing with people. They don't understand the dynamics yet because they haven't been through it from a managerial aspect. That's why it's so hard for a young coach to go in and be successful. It's not that they're stupid. It's not that they don't get it. They do get it. And they're going to be great when they get experience. When they see that same situation three, four times and they dealt with it this way and go, oh, I will never do that again. I thought I was doing the right thing. I will never do that again. And then you start handling it different when you go, oh, that seems to work better with most of them. Okay, I'll remember that. Live life. You got to hear these stories. You got to build them up. You got to live it. 
And then poor young coaches don't have this. Yeah. Like that's another thing I want to do. I want to figure out how to mentor young coaches, how to warn them about what's coming, how to talk them, get them to talk themselves through these situations better, who they can trust in administrative staffs and who they cannot. People trust their ADs. Don't trust your ADs. Don't trust your vice presidents. Do not trust them. Administrators have an average lifespan of three and a half years at a school. Why? Their job is to move up and get the highest retirement package possible by the time that they put in their 25 years. That is their job. So it's three years here, four years there, three years there. Okay, you're an AD, you're a vice president, you're a vice president slash AD, you're back to a vice president, and then you're over here, then you do it in the Big Ten, then you do it in the da 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 pretty soon, and then you retire your last three years with a $250,000 a year gig instead of what you started at, which was a $60,000 a year gig as an associate AD. It's, hmm. it's just like coaching. Administrators and education and college coaching are exactly the same kind of pathway. It's up, down, over, up, down, over, boom, 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 little here, little there, two years here, boom, back down here, assistant here, now go be a head coach down here at a lower level so you can get a bigger assistant coach over here so that you can, boom, so you can end up in the ACC. So that you, you know, as a fourth assistant, you're making 60 grand. As a fourth assistant, plus camps, plus this, plus that, and that's the ACC and the SEC. So financially, that's the end goal if you're moving your way up that coaching ladder and people don't understand this, that most of us are working for $38,000, $58,000 a year in areas we really can't afford to live and we never get to see our spouses. What a great chat. Thanks for checking it out. If you haven't done so already, follow us on Twitter at Coaches Let's Chat. Hit that subscribe button. And once again, if you get a chance, drop a review. It's super, super helpful for growing the podcast. Have a good one. Peace.